Welcome to the Fit for Fitness podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Davis, owner of Davis Fitness Method here in Seattle, Washington. This podcast is your resource for reliable fitness information. This information has been sourced from studies, experts, and real-world application from training with my clients and my own body. We're here to help you enhance your life by giving you practical takeaways that you can use today so that your energy, mood, and mindset begin to change right away. So let's not waste any more time. Let's jump into this episode. All right, everybody. So today we have James McIntosh with us. He's an ex-powerlifter, online coach, educator, and prescript coach. We brought him on here today to talk a little bit about how to begin training when we're experiencing pain, um, just some great ways to get started as a beginner, and a few other things as we go through the podcast. So uh, take a listen, take some notes, and let's get started. First things first, um, I kind of wanted to just, you know, give my listeners a little bit of background on you. So maybe if you could start by, you know, saying a little bit of what you do now, or, you know, uh, maybe just a couple of the, the yeah, buckets. The elevator pitch. Yeah. 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 So, uh, name's James McIntosh, originally from South Africa, now sitting in Australia, Gold Coast. Um, I'm more a strength coach. Um, with my hand in quite a few different buckets. Um, I personally experienced quite a difficult and traumatic injury um, that took me out of a, a performance setting that opened my eyes to um, something that a lot more people actually deal with that I had originally thought about. Um, and that's kind of opened my coaching experience and what I, what I do and the people that I tracked these days. So I work with people who essentially are trying to get back to some form of performance-based setting. Now, performance-based setting from that side can be, you know, competing at a high level. That can be tying your shoelace. Um, and going through what I've gone through myself, and we can touch on that, you know, down the line if you want to, um, has really opened my eyes to being able to connect with people. And ultimately, that's kind of what we do as coaches, I think, just being able to connect with people and, and actually understand what they're going through on whatever that level is to get them to a better outcome. So I work with anyone, um, predominantly more around injury-based um, settings, but I work with physique competitors. I work with gem pop. Um, at the end of the day, it, it sounds bad, but it's understanding how to manipulate the person you have in front of you for the greater good. It's kind of how I look at it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I totally kind of, um, I, I think as long as you have like principles that are, are sound, they kind of, you know, are conducive in, in all environments. You don't necessarily have to pigeon your pigeonhole yourself into one type of coaching. So but it, it's also having the ability to take your principles and, you know, throw them into these different buckets. Mm. It's like you understand the principles of resistance training. You understand the principles of nutrition most of the time you just got to tweak some of those principles to fit the person that you're working with. You know, a, a gen pop client who doesn't even know what a macro is, you just got to explain to them, you do the old precision nutrition hand rule versus a, a stage competitor. You know, they've got their macros down to a T down to, you know, fiber being a, a macronutrient that we really need mm -hmm. to track for them. So it, it's understanding that all of these are the same principle, but there's different languages and different levels of the language that we use for each person. Right. I'd like to kind of jump into that right away if uh, if yeah. if you're open to that, because, um, you know, a lot of what people see online is like maybe they will see somebody who is like a stage competitor or something like that. And they're like, you know, I wouldn't mind looking like that. Um, and they don't necessarily understand that that person didn't start like that. And so not so not at all. Right. So, you know, what are you know, some of the big differences between somebody who is gen pop looking to get in into slightly better shape versus somebody who is a serious physique competitor who's looking to step on stage. So I think that the first thing that we need to kind of just address in the room here is the person who gets on stage as a physique competitor is the weakest and unhealthiest at their stage that they get on, but at that point of time that they get on stage, it's the, it's the shittest that their body actually is other than from a visual perspective. And what I mean by that is, you know, the, the amount of depletion that occurs, the amount of, of generally, generally speaking, because there are ways that you can kind of come into stage a little bit healthier, if that were, you know, the case. Um, 
but they're they're depleted. They're on very low calories. They're uh, a very low body fat percentage, which is the goal. But ultimately, that does impact us from a hormone level. It changes our health. So a gen pop personnel, and this is one thing that I kind of, you know, when they come to you or they come to us as coaches and they, I want to look like X, the first thing that we got to kind of bring attention to them is, okay, this is going to take time. It's like that person didn't just, you know, do a 12-week transformation or an eight-week package or whatever it is and get on stage. They're usually starting in a relatively good position, um, being, you know, males anywhere from kind of 12 to 15% body fat. They've been training for a period of time that is a lot longer than most and most gen pops that we would get. Um, and they're able to, they've, they've got the base foundations down. They know how to track macros. They understand what proteins are. They understand what, you know, fats are. Um, they understand that there's a manipulation between them and, and they have the base principles down. They have a better starting point is usually how I try and kind of present it. That doesn't mean that it's impossible to get there. Or that doesn't mean that it's impossible for you to achieve the aesthetic look that you supposedly think you're looking for to feel happy. And I think that's something to touch on. So yeah. when you say a better starting point, do you mean uh, that they have just like a greater skill set surrounding like nutrition? Yes, that's exactly okay. it from that. They, they have a, a better skill set around nutrition from, you know, they've kind of been tracking for a period of time. They understand what tracking actually is. Um, you know, the, most gen pops, if it's true gen pop, they don't even understand that there is, what are, what is tracking? What are we tracking? What do they, what does that word mean? Um, and it's understanding that there's, you know, food has energy output. It has a, it has a caloric amount or the caloric amount has an energy equivalent to that. So it's like we put in, I don't know, hundred grams of rice, we get X amount of energy out of it. Um, that allows us to burn, to utilize as fuel, as a source to move around. Whereas you have competitors who kind of understand that principle already. Usually, usually right. um, you do get kind of the, the competitors who just follow a meal plan and that is what it is. But I, I think the times are changing in terms of that. We're seeing a, a big shift away from that in terms of competitors and gen pop. Um, we're seeing the, the shift towards a more educated coach educating their clients. I think right. that's, that's what we're starting to see from that side. But yes, to summarize it and what you said, there's like, yes, we see competitors have a, a greater uh, bandwidth of skill. They're coming to you with a better skill set, a base skill set. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. So in terms of um, beginners or, you know, somebody who's getting started who may be experiencing an injury, um, you also kind of brought up the fact like if somebody wanted to tie your shoe, would you kind of lump those into a similar category in terms of how you would approach their training? Um, whether it's like, you know, some range of motion deficit, just, you know, all of them are treated the same or because it's in, like encompassed with pain, um, are you approaching that a little bit differently than you would take you know, take somebody who is just having a difficulty with range of motion. Yeah. So I think to flip that, that whole question around it's what is the goal? What are we attempting to do? And that's kind of how I start, you know, every consult, every type of, of conversation I have from that. So it's like, what are we, and I hate it because a lot of people just, you know, use that as the smoke bomb and then kind of don't give an answer, but ultimately it is, it's the goal. Okay. What is the goal? Is the goal to outfunction your pain? Is that to move away from your pain, to try and unlearn your pain? Cool. If it is, then it might, then we go into it. Okay. If the goal is to get away from pain, what is causing the pain? Is it a structural problem? Is it, you know, range of motion or lack thereof or a dysfunction, an injury that's occurred? It's, it's understanding that you could lump some them or lump them all into one category with subcategories out of that is kind of how I then approach it from that. Is, is the pain being caused because of a dysfunction or is the pain being caused because of an injury that's occurred? And it's like, okay, why did the injury occur? What have we, what have we not done correctly in the past that has now caused this injury that, you know, greater than tissue tolerance? It's like that, that's exactly what it is. That's what an injury is. So we kind of got to reverse engineer the process of what brought us to this point. What do we need to change to bring us away from this and kind of strive towards performance? Because pain is a real, real quick, like it's a great indicator. And it's a great metric to, for us to kind of measure 
to see if we're performing. Pain starts going down, performance increases. Whether that performance is my daily walking, I can walk better. I walk without being, you know, um, without having to rest all the time or de- uh, not decapitated. What's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> Definitely not decapitated. Decapitated. Uh, debilitated is the word I was looking for. <laughs> I was um, so distracted by decapitated. Yes. <laughs> I, I, no one should be decapitated. I have, yeah, yeah. unfortunately, in my my life as a paramedic in South Africa, I have come across some decapitations. Oh fuck! That's not something you ever want to see. That's a whole nother rabbit hole. Goddamn. Okay. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> Oh man. Um, okay. So, um, in terms of pain, we know that, you know, we're trying like, while, whilst it exists, we're not necessarily trying to make that the focus around training. Um, so how would you say is the best way to kind of approach in terms of goal setting, um, in ter- like how, how will they recognize they're making progress without everything always being referenced to, Oh, well, what well, does, does that hurt, you know, all the time? So, it comes down to the person. So I'll have some clients who give zero fucks about the weight of the bar. They don't care. They don't care if it's got heavier or less. They don't know. They don't even know the weight of the bar that they're using. They just know that they're performing it. And for clients like that, nine out of 10 times, it's I feel better during this movement. Cool. There's our metric that, that we can kind of say, did that feel better? Yeah, like it feels good. Like I can actually feel like I get into the range or I feel my quad working more. Like that's it's very base level. And it's not, you know, it's not the stuff that we talk about in terms of our biomechanics and, you know, on that slightly um, deeper level. But you know what it is to them? It's progress. It's something that they've done better. So I think putting a objective metric to that can be very um can be damaging because if you're constantly trying to to judge off an object object objective metric um we can almost leave them down the path of their failing so i find depending on the client and how they are i also have other clients who you know they have to put two and a half kilos on their bench you know every cycle or they have to increase their weight or they have to increase their reps it's like okay that's usually a more data-driven person and that is someone who we track metrics around. So I think finding out how your client works or using a personality profile around your client can be very, very beneficial to understand what is going to drive them. So I don't know if you've heard of like the Braverman test. Have you heard of that? So I I'm use the, Braver, the, the Braverman test. Is, I'll, I'll send you the link after this. I use the Braverman test for quite a few of my clients. And it's basically a personality profile that goes into your neurotyping. So we can understand like if you run more of a dopamine, dopamine neurotype, acetylcholine, um, GABA, and jeez, uh, oh, I've just got lost on whatever it is. Um, it doesn't really matter. Um, but essentially what that does is it, it gives us a representation of what you're, what's going to drive you better. So like a type A person would usually be someone who's dopamine, like higher in dopamine and maybe acetylcholine. So acetylcholine is data-driven. Dopamine is obviously like that go, the challenge. They want to kind of like, they want to win at everything. So it's like, you've got a CEO who wants to come in and win all the time and like super driven. If you don't set him challenges or if you don't increase the weight that he's doing or the reps that he's doing, he feels like he's failing. And do you know what happens at a type a personality who feels like they're failing, they give up and they just, they, they don't continue to buy in and they don't do the process. So you as a coach have got to understand that a type A person, personality or a highly dopamine driven person who walks into your gym and wants to train with you. It's like, okay, get clever. You got to push them. You got to challenge them. Little things like, oh, you know, like I've programmed you to do like eight reps, but I don't think you'll get there. Like you've got to, you, you've got to trick them and you know what happens that you, you, you get the competitive spark of them. They hit eight, they hit maybe nine reps. Now on the flip side of that, you've got Peggy Sue who looks after three more, like three kids and walks in. She's probably not a dopamine driven person. It's probably more like into the GABA. So GABA is a little bit like slower neurotype. Usually actually GABA, we won't find training. They kind of can also be into like the hippies and yoga, and, you know, like that type of vibe. 
you say to that mom, that lady, that that guy could also be as well, walk in and, you know, you, I, I don't think you'll get eight reps. She'll be like, oh, I think you're right. You know, I don't think I can. So it's like an understanding that now we've had to flip our personality and flip our way that we manipulate, converse, try and 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 you know give them a metric to track around this we have to understand that we need multiple avenues to do this is is yeah. you know it's the buy-in at the end of the day all that does is it creates buy-in and allows us to actually start creating a meaningful change within these clients lives and that's what we're trying to do how important do you think it is for the client to know that about themselves i educate a lot of my clients around it not in a um not in an i know better than you way but it also starts to bring them into the process. Now, in saying that, I do have some clients that I can't talk to that, like can't go through that process with them because it would be negative. And the only way you find that out is by making the mistake. Like I made some mistakes of trying to, you know, explain this to one of my lawyers, who's a, he's a top partner at one of the firms here in Australia. And like, I tried to go through this process with him and he just, he turned off completely because he almost knew that I was trying to manipulate him. And it's like, he, he flipped and it didn't do us any good. And it kind of took two or three sessions to come back out of that. It usually is very beneficial to moms, for example, or highly stressed individuals that are kind of like in that state, you've got to try and explain to them why we're doing said process or whatever it is. We've got to bring them down. And I find buy-in is then greater mm. if you can teach and that's what I think I was referring to earlier. It's like we're starting to see in the industry um, coaches that are educated being able to educate their clients because like you'll see, like how many of your clients, if you teach them the why, how much better do they perform the exercise? How much more are they bought into the whole program? It, it, it's just the buy-in process. Like why wouldn't we do that? It's like if, if that's going to make a better result for all of us, it's like I, of course I'm going to take that extra time to teach you you know, whether it's macros, whether it's why do we do a front foot elevated split squat in this way? If they're interested and they, they ask, you tell them why, you usually pick it up on the first session. If you try and explain it to them and they're like, I don't really care, I'm just doing it. You're like, okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> I don't need to tell you anymore. It's like, just do 10 reps for me. Right. You know, there's like the overly technical answer for why, and then there's like the be the actual benefit, which is like, yep. you know, it, it, it helps get my, you know, my, my legs, you know, more stable or it helps, you know, my glutes get bigger or something like that. Correct. That gets more okay. of the, the buy-in versus like, Oh, it's this yes. phase and gate cycle or something like that. Like exactly. And, it, and, and it's understanding the audience that you have in front of you. It's like you, the, you know, Peggy Sue, the mom, she doesn't really give a shit that it may help replicate gate cycle. Do you know what she cares about? It's like my bum burns more when I do this. Does that mean my bum's getting bigger? Yes. Yes. And she's like, great. Whereas then, you know, you may be training a coach or you may be training someone with a higher acetylcholine. So they want data, they want information, they want, you know, they want studies. It's like, it's fucking it's like, okay, here it comes. But it's, it's interesting, <laughs> but it's understanding that we need to be able to flip from X to Y real, real fast and understand who we were dealing with. There's a question I have, and it was just something that I was thinking about while I was on a walk today. Um, <laughs> And it, it's all about my, all my thinking on all my walks. It's a, it's, right. it's, it's a nightmare. Right. So you're, you're, you have, you have people that are out there now that are currently not training. Um, and maybe they would gravitate to something other than strength training, um, you know, via this neurotyping. Um, how, how would you explain the benefits of, you know, strength training? Should everybody strength train? Would everybody benefit from strength training? Um, are there people that should actively avoid it? Um, and then how would you explain to somebody who isn't necessarily all the way in? Maybe they're like, oh, that looks kind of good, but why would I spend three hours a week, you know, doing that? Yeah. So I think that the first thing is making sure we pick the correct language. Strength training is intimidating. Resistance training kind of feels a little bit more like gooey, a little bit more cushy. So understanding that if we say like resistance training to a yogi, for example, and, and you know, I've got nothing against yogis. I've tried to do it. I'm as flexible as a brick and I should probably do more of it, but it's just not my vibe. Um, 
but understanding that if we use the words resistance training, um, and that is you know scientifically what it kind of is, is resistance training benefits us from skeletal you know skeletal benefits like we can help slow down osteoporosis, we can improve like the immune system response. Like there's there's so many scientific benefits from resistance training. Now resistance training can be anything as much as walking. So there's a form of resistance that's occurring from walking and it's like older population with a higher um, affinity to osteoporosis, you know, like bone density problems, like lack of calcium, especially women in late stages of menopause. So it's obviously like from a hormone perspective and like lack of estrogen, our bone density decreases. When I say lack of estrogen, a decrease in estrogen. Um, So resistance training helps to buffer this. So it's understanding the person that's in front of you and trying to relate it to them or the closest thing that they could understand. For example, a yogi who's been doing stretching and, you know, breathing drills and in a static position most of the time, they would probably benefit from walking because there's now some form of impact that could be there. A cyclist or someone who really enjoys cycling and, you know, going on these long rides, et cetera, there's no resistance. There's no eccentric load or or concentric load that's kind of occurring or impact when they walk. So saying to them, hey, we want to benefit your cycling and and increase your long-term ability to do this. Like, do you want to cycle until you're 80? Yeah, sure. Like, that would be really cool. Like, you know, maybe I could cycle with my grandkids one day. Like it's using those types of triggers. Like, okay, resistance training would help us continue to cycle for years because of X, Y, and Z benefits, like increase in you know, bone density, the muscle mass. Um, like there's so many multiple avenues from that, like I've kind of just mentioned. It's like we could use that as a benefit for what they enjoy. And we can kind of like use what they enjoy to kind of get the buy-in of what we know is very beneficial and healthy for them. So that's kind of the approach that I take from that side. And it's not about forcing people to do, you know, three hours of training a, a week. It may be one hour a week. That's where we start. It's better than nothing. And, and the love might occur from that side. I've had, you know, multiple clients and I, I don't know how you got into training, for example, but in the very, very beginning, it's like I did one or two of those stupid step class things with like a rubber pole type of vibe. And I was like, this is kind of cool. Like I got into the gym and like, then after the class, I was like, Oh, there's dumbbells. And then someone was curling and like, I did some of that. And that's, so it's like, if I, if we had had this blanket approach of, you know, uh, only resistance training, no weights classes, no Zumba or whatever the fuck you land up doing. It's like, I, might not have gotten in the gym. I probably would have because that's just what happens. But I might, like, we might see that with someone else. It's like maybe the spin class that they go to ignites them to see them do, I don't know, step class. From a step class, maybe they, you know, walk past and they see some girl doing hip thrusts or something like, oh, what is she doing? And like, it, it may ignite something from that side and build them into the resistance training where we could then hopefully educate them on the benefits of why this is good to do. So that's kind of my approach to a certain extent, I guess. So uh, you're basically saying through exposure. So like you would encourage any activity just yep. because it would increase the amount of people generally active and, and, and then potentially making their way into the gym. And yep. because of that graded exposure, they may expose themselves to strength training and experience the benefits of strength training. hundred percent. And that's all it is. It's graded, graded exposure for me. So I, I, you know, for, we've seen obviously with the dreaded C word in the last kind of 18 months to two years, it's like if more people were, were healthy, walking more active and active can literally be going for more walks in the day. It's like spending more time in the sunlight and outside in the fresh air. It's like we can see the benefit from not just the mental perspective, but the health perspective, immune response perspective. It's like there's what's it, something like eight out of the 10 deadliest diseases in the world can be cured with nutrition and exercise. Why the fuck are we not getting active and active? As I said, it can be that exposure of walking. It can be riding. It can be, I don't know, pushing your kids pram while you go like around the park, like mm-hmm. those types of things. And I, I kind of try and bring it back to that every single time. Like I've got a couple moms, dads, and 
my inert kind of broodiness that I've had since I was, I don't know, and you're a father to be, um, you know, since like 17, it's like, all I want to do is be able to play with my kids when that happens. It's like, I can't think, and yes, we have people, you know, who don't want to have kids and that's their right and their feeling for that. But I ultimately look at that. It's like, I don't want to be in so such an inability to get on the floor and play with my daughter, son, and just have like a good time with it. That that's kind of how, how I, I think about exercise. It's like, just be healthy enough that you can play with your kids. Like you can mm-hmm. go outside and throw a football with your son and not be out of breath and, you know, pop a stroke or have a heart attack. Like, right. You know, that's kind yeah. of, I don't not know. Nec- not necessarily everybody needing to go to the gym and load 400 pounds onto their back. No, like you don't, like you don't have to do that at all. At, at all. It's like, just get some form of resistance training in and you'll be a healthier person for it. Would you, would you have people crawl on the ground? Would I, or have I? <laughs> two, two separate questions. Um, okay. Okay. <laughs> so yes, I have actually had, so, um, originally when I started training, I trained at a, or I trained clients out of a strength and conditioning facility in South Africa that, um, was very into primal movements and, um, kid like, uh, strong first kettlebell, so kind of the not the competition thing with the color ones that goes over your head and all that nonsense. Like a little bit, I would say the oh, this is going to sound the manlier side of kettlebells. Don't shoot me, whoever does competition <laughs> competition kettlebells. But yeah, like we had um, like part of warm up sequences was like crawling and those types of things, and it was fucking hard, man. Like one of the drills we had to do was like crawl around for two minutes. Do you know how difficult it is to crawl on your hands and knees? Like your knees have to be off the ground for two minutes. My shoulders were toast. I was broken. There's better ways to do it, I suppose. And I think this comes into the conversation of like, there's no bad exercise. You know, it's people moving. They, I think it's, it's when we have the context of it where people go into, it's reintegrating our primal movements and, you know, as a baby, we have to be able to go into whatever it is. And I'm just like, huh, fuck off. Someone's moving. I'm happy. Someone's moving. And like, we can hopefully educate them into better means or better mediums of hopefully eliciting the same response. If crawling on the floor gets them off and it gets them into the German training, go for it. Go, go wild. Crawl as much as you want to crawl, crab crawl on your back. Just don't hurt yourself. I think that's the key thing. So that being said, um, being active training, you know, kind of doing whatever, some of these programs don't tend to have any sort of periodization or maybe some of them do, some of them do, but I would say a good chunk of them is kind of like, it's more kind of a wad format. Like this is just what you do Yep. in terms of mitigating for injuries or doing your best to prevent injuries. Yep is would that be a viable option from the literature? No, I would see that there would be an increase in injury risk that occurs. And I have seen it. Like we've all seen it. Like, you know, the Zumba lady has got sore knees after maybe two months of going to it and going hardcore, you know, going a little bit too often. There's definitely something that occurs. I think, once again, it goes into that graded exposure though. Like that person who, you know, has done Zumba, I don't know, too hard. I don't know. Can you do Zumba too hard? I don't know. You know I can I mean? Zumba too hard. <laughs> <laughs> I can Zumba too hard. So it's like, maybe you go, you go. Like, and what that possibly does is if they're hopefully smart enough, it's like they've now gone and seen a professional and maybe the professional now gives them the graded exposure into resistance training. It's like, there's the, the loop around. Unfortunately, what we have seen in the past, and I think this is, this is where the disconnect can occur. It's like someone goes too hard within these class settings and their response to fixing that is, oh, I'll just stop. It's the class that hurt me. And I think that's the, that's the, the shame and the, the sad thing that does happen more often than not, I think. Um, so I think this is to a certain extent where CrossFit did something relatively good or good, sorry, 
good CrossFit gyms did something really good where they actually started implementing some form of periodization model. There weren't many of them, but there was definitely a lot of, of CrossFit gyms that had smart coaches. And coaches understood that this wasn't just a thumb suck. What was the, the fucking wheel where you picked random work up? What, what was that? Like <laughs> they actually had some kind of thought process behind it. And a lot of it was the old school guys who had done, you know, powerlifting, Olympic weightlifting, um, and understood that periodization actually makes a difference. So that's where we saw the big shift in, in the industry to, yes, they were doing movements that were probably a greater risk, but because there was some form of periodization panel, periodization model in place, we got good results without as crazy injuries as we saw. There's always going to be bad apples. And I think that's kind of what we got to like, notify with this. There's always bad apples. There's always people who take it too far. And it's always out of context, I suppose. So it's like with context, and if we start adding context into all of these types of mediums or exercise parameters or whatever they are it's like we can actually do so much good for it it's just understanding that we need to give it context i think yeah so in terms of like graded exposure and stuff like that um and also again kind of kind of going back to some of those injuries and stuff like that when if somebody is coming in dealing with an injury do you say hey like these movements are off limits are there any movements that are off limits um if they had an injury to the knee, you know, when they, when they jog, um, it's always, they notice it's always when I get past mile three that my knee starts to hurt. Is it, you can jog up to mile two. Um, is it, let's, you know, take some time off from jogging altogether. What, what does it look like for you? So, I mean, the, the first thing is obviously like assessing where the, the dysfunction is starting to come from. It's like, for example, knee pain there, it's going to be hip, you know, instability around the hip and or ankle. Um, if you can get the client to buy into a, a an approach of less mileage and or um, time off from a high impact medium, so I'm very careful with my words around that. For example, running is a high impact medium from that side and we can still make a benefit to their overall health and actually rehabilitate the injury or kind of bring back from dysfunction while still strength training. I think decreasing the likelihood of that high impact medium or that high impact you know, exercise being running would be very beneficial in the beginning and then a slow introduction of graded exposure of like you said, hey, let's do you no know, one mile runs. It's like let's slowly introduce that. It's like after we've done one mile runs, let's go one and a half, then twos, and like slowly bring ourselves back up to that. You're gonna see a greater effect. The key thing is making sure that we can kind of get the buy-in from the clientele in the beginning. If that's not going to happen, you immediately still have a graded exposure effect. And I would go, I don't know, let's do three one mile runs with a walk in between, for example. It's like, so run one mile, walk half a mile, run one mile, walk walk half a mile. It's like, we've still kind of got that five miles in and there's a high likelihood that the pain would probably be less than what they were when they experienced it. And hopefully on the back end, we're integrating some form of, you know, exercises that are helping to strengthen the dysfunctions that we found within our assessment. So we can kind of like have this balancing act of like keep the client happy and keep them running because especially runners, like runners, if you tell them to stop running, they have a heart attack and they cry in front of you and it's the end of the world versus, you know, you tell a powerlifter not to squat heavy. He's like, okay, I'll kind of do a few less reps to a certain extent. I do know some powerlifters will probably cry in front of me as well if I said that. (laughs) So, so um, how, how many people do you think it's, there's actually some form of dysfunction in the hip or in the ankle versus just starting off with purely too much. Like somebody who's like, I'm going to start running. Haven't ran in, I don't know, five years. Five years. I'm, yep. I'm going to, I'm going to do, I'm going to try to do five miles today. hundred percent. I see, I see that more often than the dysfunction that's occurred. It's like, 
most people walk around every day. It's like, are we able to kind of walk around with limited amounts of pain? Like we kind of have a base level of stability around that. Yes, maybe not the level that we would want to perform strength training exercises. But a lot of times like we're not walking around and having vul- like massive vulgus and like falling in and that shit's not happening every day. But you know, when that does happen, when you haven't run for five years and you suddenly like, I'm doing a 5k stupid. Like that's just not a smart idea. And I can't remember like shallows referenced the study quite a few times. And to be honest, I have tried for probably the last four or five years to find this flippant study, but it's something like an increase in 15% of or above your norm of what you usually do is something like a 90% increase of injury. So what that means is like, if you do a, an increase in 15% of a exercise or a mileage, you're going to get injured. That's I think it, 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 and I, I might be butchering it completely. And if anyone can find the, not, I don't know if anyone can yeah. find the study, please send it to me because I can't, I've looked everywhere for this bloody thing, but essentially, and it makes sense. It's like if I went from, I don't know, doing my standard squats, for example, like my periodization model of, of standard squats of, and 100 kilograms for five reps, and I suddenly increase by 15%, and I haven't done that, my likelihood of injury is extremely high. Do you know why? Because that graded exposure is now not graded exposure. It's 15%. 15% over something like that is dramatic in terms of what's occurring. So it makes logical sense. So it's like if you only walk every day and you walk 5,000 steps, Okay, I'm going to get, the, let's do 10,000 steps so that my math is fine. If we do 10,000 steps a day, which is quite a lot, if we do 10,000 steps a day and I suddenly start running and I run and I get, you know, 1.5 Ks in, it's like, my knees are going to hurt. I'm telling you my knees are going to hurt because I'm not used to high impact. So it's a completely different impact that's coming through my knees or coming through the whole chain. It's more mileage than I've ever done before. It's, there's a, a dramatic increase that's occurred there. So it's like, well, of course you're going to be sore. So do you know what you need to do? And then we saw this in COVID. I'm sure you saw this in COVID. It's like people suddenly went from being able to train at a gym to nothing. And they're like, cool, I'm going to go run. How many people got shin splints? <laughs> um, actually, funny story. So um, <laughs> I hate to interrupt with uh, something that is, is, is non- it just applies to kind of what you were already talking about. And I imagine this is exactly what happened. Jasmine and I, uh, Jasmine, my wife, we're going, we're going for a walk, uh, as we did, you know, during lockdowns up here, I'm going for a walk and we see this, uh, couple, uh, going on a run. And I imagine because, because of his outfit, uh, he has like some, like it looked like his middle school shorts on, like just whatever was given to him back in middle school. For some reason, they still fit same gym t-shirt, everything. Yep. And, um, you know, she's, she's, uh, the girl that he's with is killing it. She's up ahead and it looks like she's been going for runs for, you know, a little while. And it looks like he's just getting back into it and she just dragged him out or something like that. And then just all of a sudden it's just like, boom. And like, he's just like, ah, ah, and he's like screaming for her, but she has like her headphones on. It's just like this whole thing. Um, and I imagine that's because he added a little bit more than 15% that day. And, and, you know, we can speculate, but I probably say the exact same thing. You know, he, he hasn't run in, I don't know, since junior high school or whatever it is, or just since junior high. <laughs> like you're saying, it, I, yeah. I can picture the shorts that are like kind of like faded out shorts. They're probably yeah. the shorts that his wife's been screaming at him to throw out for the last 10 years. And it's like he put them on. It's like, oh, honey, they still fit. Like I'm still an athlete. <laughs> you know, does the does the little like leg swing, the little stretch, like touch your ankles type of thing. Like, yeah, I got this. You know, the little back. It's always the back twist. That's what I've always seen. Right. The, the rotation and then uh, starts going for the run and a little bit too fast, hamstring. There's that right. sniper come in and that's probably what happened. And you sit there right. going like, well, you know what you could have done? You probably could have just started with a little bit more walking. And then like maybe we go from walking to um, what we call like fart leg training or like slower intervals. It's like, okay, if instead of running five miles, I'm going to run half a mile. I'm going to do a jog pace for half a mile, walk for half a mile. Do that for like a week. Feel good. Okay, cool. Let's go up to maybe jog, I don't know, a mile, walk a mile. Like you can still create the graded exposure from that yeah. side. And you know, what we was, see what, that in, what, yep. what do you think would be like the most kind of practical? Like let's say like right now, 
somebody who's listening, they're not doing anything right now. They want to start doing something. And maybe right now they're not ready to get into the gym, but they want to like up their cardio. So far, you've talked a lot about walking. Yeah. Um, maybe, maybe they want to eventually get up to running. What would you say is kind of, would you just do that style where it's like, okay, I'm going to do a, a quarter mile walk. Is it, is it a quarter mile walk? How do you, how do you base from zero? What 15% would be more? Yeah. It, it, it's difficult from that side. So I think the first thing we got to talk about there is the medium that you run on. So immediately what we see is people will start, they'll go from walking and doing nothing to running on, you know, the pathways, the tall, those types of things, high impact, extremely high impact on your, on your knees, go run on the grass is fields softer. It's like, there's, there's something that we could actually make. An, uh, we can decrease the likelihood of some form of injury occurring because that impact is less. It's like, okay, I would go and start, you know, it can be starting something as little as 50 meter kind of jogs. So you go down to your local field, your local pitch, whatever it is. And it's usually, I don't know what I was going to say, a soccer pitch or something like that. And you'd start at the line, run to the halfway mark, walk back. Do 10 of those, five of those, you know, five, five of them is perfectly good. Start with that on day one, day two, come back, do five again. Like, did you feel good? Like track it from the perspective of the next day when I woke up, was I really sore? Like, was I so sore that it was debilitating and like, I couldn't move. Okay. Then you probably did too much. It's like, let's like tap off a little bit from there. It's like, if we did the 10 sprints, let's do the five. Okay. I felt good after the five. Nothing's necessarily kind of, flaring up and being injured or there's no like dramatic pain in my knees. It's like, okay, cool. Let's slowly start that greater exposure. The key thing with all of this is less is more. It's like we want to, if this is what you want to do and you want to try and introduce this and, and make it, you know, a habit that does form into, you know, benefiting you for you know, long-term from health perspectives, from mental perspectives, all that's like start slow, play the long game. So you've got your uh, dopamine acetylcholine type A guy coming in and yep. wants to get started. And it's like, no, James, I'm going to fucking smash it today. Yep. And it's day one and we're weight training today. Yep. What, what do you say to me then? Um, you use the correct medium to drive what you need to do. So what I mean by that is we put them in an environment that is going to be the most safest for them at that time that requires them to, you know, not have the high skill output. And we've kind of, you'll understand this from skill acquisition perspective, but have the high skill output of an exercise that we can put them in a safe medium and we can kind of burn off that itch or scratch that itch that they're trying to get at. Do you know what's a really, really good medium for that? A prowler. Because a prowler, make a prowler or an airdyne or something along those lines, it's less skill. It they can push as hard as they feel they have the ability to. It's like their injury risk is very low. So a prowler is a great one from that perspective. It's a it's a eccentric move. Well, it's a it's a low impact movement. You can make them work as hard as they want if they push to the point where they vomit. It's their fault. It's like, you're not yeah. going to get blamed for anything. Yeah. And the chances of them getting hurt are like zero. Yeah. Literally also, zero. Also from like a soreness perspective on those lifts, there's less of an eccentric, or like no eccentric there's, essentially. There's no eccentric. So the muscle damage. So what we understand is the lowering phase within an exercise. So the eccentric phase creates a lot more muscle damage and muscle damage is sore. It creates DOMS or delayed onset of muscle soreness and is a... Um, high fatiguing part of a lift that can cause that intense soreness. So if we pick a medium where that intense soreness is not necessarily going to occur, a prowler, an airdyne, for example, we can burn you type A high performing achiever who wants to just go and compete at everything. It's like, great, go do as many prowler sprints as you can for me in 30 seconds on a, or minute, whatever it is. It's like, sweet. Yeah. I bet you won't get three. He'll be like, fuck you. I'll get three. And he'll give it horns and he'll probably fall face first on the, the floor by the end of it. When he's got his three, he's exerted what he needed to do. I got everything that I needed to get out as a coach. And he's not going to be sore. And he's going to come back tomorrow and he's going to be like, cool, let's go again. It's, it's the yeah. perfect way to kind of manipulate them into what you need. 
So, um, for people who are just getting uh, started in the gym, um, so yep. we've talked about you know running on the track and uh, or or like a soccer field. Um, for people who are getting started in the gym, um, I notice a lot of people they like they're kind of like I'm okay with being sore. You know, I've done this before. You know, like uh, a good five days of soreness isn't gonna you know <laughs> affect me too much. Um, do you advise people against? you know, going that hard on day one, or would you say, yeah, it's totally fine. You know, kind of, you know, we can just get this soreness out of the way. Uh, how would you go about approaching that? I, I think so. Muscle soreness is a funny one. It's, it's, everyone's kind of like, Oh, you know, I don't want to, Oh, we shouldn't be tracking muscle soreness. Like you shouldn't be sore all the time to feel like you've had a good workout. And yes, a hundred percent agree with that. You shouldn't be chasing the muscle soreness, but in saying that it is a really good metric for all and a subjective metric for us to understand if maybe we're putting too much volume or doing the exercise too much around the muscle group that we're kind of working for that perspective. So in the beginning, a person who has never walked into a gym, who walks into a gym and does a couple of bicep curls, maybe an overhead press on a machine or, you know, uses muscles that they haven't used before, you're going to be sore tomorrow. It's going to happen. We can alleviate that amount of soreness though, that it's not debilitating. I don't want you to not be able to, you know, there's always the joke of like you do arms and you can't put your food to your mouth. It's like, that's stupid. We don't want to do that because you're not going to come back or you're going to kind of fear that ability to do, to, you know, do it again. So start slow, start small, do a couple measurements, uh, measurements, do a couple like exercises around that few sets, maybe two sets is all you kind of need and build up to the point of where you kind of feel comfortable or, or there's no pain that's occurring from that side. I think especially in the beginner is pushing them so much to the point of where they are wrecked or they are so sore the next day, like that's just irresponsible as a coach. There is going to be some form of fatigue or discomfort. Yeah, what would be like a, a indicator of like I'm getting in the overreaching range for day one for a beginner? Oh, can you? So usually a beginner, it's like oh, my arms feel really pumped. Like you did some bicep because like it feels like they're gonna explode. Stop there. That's usually that. Too, that's what I found before. It's especially you know, females, males who's, who have never really done any arm work or training before, they'll feel blood go into the muscle group that you've kind of picked to, to work. When they kind of get that like, oh, it feels like it's going to explode. That's usually what the saying is, or it feels like it's trying to like, it's the pump that they're referring to. Mm -hmm. Stop there. That's more than enough. They've had adequate like blood flow to there. They've stimulated the muscle group. For a true beginner, that's more than enough to start. Second, then we just start again. Next session, next time we kind of do that muscle group, we do the same thing again. Maybe they get a few more reps. Maybe they get a whole extra set in. We never know from that side. Like there's an ability yeah. for us to recover. And I think using reps with beginners is a very smart way to do it. Adding an entire set can actually put you on the back foot. It's too, it can overload the amount of volume really fast. Right. Um, and so like if somebody's come in and they've, uh, they're like, you know, they've committed an hour to, you know, training with you. I don't know how your guys' uh, session, how you set your sessions up. Um, if it's just per session or if it's like once we get the workout done. Yep. Um, but in terms of somebody coming in, maybe they're expecting to, you know, get trained for an hour and, you know, they've got everything done in 40 minutes do you have them do something else at the end or are you just kind of like, Hey, like, you know, we, we got done what we need to get done this hour. So two things. One, I would rather go with the, the perspective of we got done with what we needed to get done. But I pre-frame that at the beginning of the consult, the beginning of the session, it's like it's your first session. It's the first couple weeks, whatever it is. Like we're getting in, we're going to slowly start moving and we have to work to how your body is feeling and is taking on the exercise. It may be 30 minutes. It may be 45 minutes. It may be a full hour. It's like we're not here to cause so much damage or train you into the ground. It's like, I want you to come back the next day. So if it takes 30 minutes and we get the appropriate amount of work that I'm looking for done, I'm not going to push you and fill the void of that gap. 
if we finish in 45 minutes and they feel good and they would like to maybe do some, I don't know, sit on the bike for a little bit and churn over their legs, great. Go wild. Have fun. Enjoy it. It's it's got to do with that that buy-in with the athlete. I'm not here to murder you into the ground. I'm not going to be one of those trainers who we finish 45 minutes who we then do like finishes and do throw some abs in there to kind of like fill up that spot. We've all seen that trainer. Everyone's seen that person in the gym. He just it's like, oh, they finished 45 minutes. They don't know what to do. It's like, just say to your client, like you finished everything we needed to do. That's what we needed to do. And I think that also comes down to being a smart, being a smart trainer, understanding that don't sell your time, sell the sessions. It's like the session can be 30 minutes. For 30 minutes is 30 minutes. That's 45 minutes. It's 45 minutes and, and play around with those types of perspectives. That's what I do or yeah. used to do. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, I mean, you came for a specific result and what we're going to deliver is, is that result. Um, we, we, you know, for some people it's like, we will achieve that in an hour. Um, for some people they we're not going to achieve that amount of time because for the same reasons that we're only doing, you know, five, you know, jogs on the, the soccer field to start and, and walking back because that's all that you're going to need. Um, right. and then for somebody who, as, as you build a larger capacity and you can withstand a, a greater amount of volume and then you're going to be able to hold up for a longer session. So, yeah. Um, and that, that's exactly it. It's, it's, I think we just kind of, we've stuck in this mindset of like a session has to be an hour and it doesn't, a session can be 15 minutes, like the graded exposure of the person running. It could take you 15 minutes to do your five 50 meter sprints on the field. Cool. You did well. You're not injured. We've moved like you're building your capacity, go home and relax, go home and do the rest of your day. Come back tomorrow. Let's continue. It's like it's playing the long game is kind of like I look at it and I look at it through all lenses of training. It's like I want I want you to be able to train when you're 80. Right. So it's like let's play the long game. It's like I unfortunately went through the perspective and like had the life altering change within what happened to me. It's like I wasn't necessarily or people weren't concerned to a certain point around my long term success. And I got fucked up. So you know right. what I do as a coach? I make sure that everyone's like, I want people to do this for as long as they can. I want people to be out of pain. I want quality of life. That's what should be happening. For somebody who's getting started, um, and not necessarily all of these things at the same time, yeah. um, because as we know, adding more than one behavior at a time, you know, dramatically decreases their ability to, to stick to it. Yep. Um, so what would you say are like, the three big kind of pillars, it can be more than three, um, but I'm just going to say three because it feels like a good cutoff. Good. If that's good um, <laughs> what, what would you say are like three big things that people should be focusing on as a beginner that will help them to sustain fitness for a longer period of time and maybe up to that, that age range where they're 80, you know, sleep. It's the first one. Sleep is probably, the, it's the most underused uh, adaptation that we could kind of like really hone in on and focus. Like the research behind like lack of sleep is huge in terms of life, like um, lifespan. That's what I was looking for. In terms of lifespan, it's like you get your sleep up there and you actually start working on your sleep and like quality sleep, you'll change your life for the better. It's like we're the likelihood of, overeating of calories is so much less the likelihood of actually you know losing body fat is so much better it's like okay in, uh, decrease in body fat increases muscle mass and increase in muscle mass the the lifespan increases like it just fits into so many aspects of our life so sleep's the the, the big one from that side um activities of daily living so i don't want to say neat because or non-activity thermogenesis it kind of works into how much how much activity we do within a daily perspective, um, but true NEAT is untracked and unmodulated, so you can't prescribe NEAT. But understanding that if we live some form of active lifestyle, so making sure that we do walks, making sure that we get outside in nature, and that's probably like a it fits into that activities of daily living, like make sure we're active to the point that we can handle, not active to the point that we handle, like we, we mentioned earlier. It's like it's walking outside with your dog, your kids, 
going to, if you go to the gym, go to the gym. That's your activity of, of daily living. I think that's a big one for me. Um, I also think that that ties into coming back to that resistance training. It's like we train, unless you're competitive, we train to hopefully be able to use that in our everyday life. It's like I, I train because I want to be able to go on hikes with my family and enjoy and reap the rewards of being strong. So it's like do things then. Go outside and do them. Use the strength that you're building. Like enjoy outside. Enjoy living. It's like fuck. It's it's shit time sometimes if you don't have anything to enjoy. So an activity that you would do from that. Um, number three, I want to throw hydration in there, but that might not be a pillar. That may be something that hydration is underutilized. I think so many people. How many clients do you know that don't drink enough water? Huge. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a large chunk of people. It's a, it's a lot, and it may be a really like small percentage that I'm kind of harping on there, but I really feel that like making a meaningful change around your hydration benefits you in everyday life so much more as well. Um, and then obviously training, like to find what you enjoy and do it. You know, if that if that enjoyment is playing golf and it's active enough for you, and it's like go and play golf, but walk on the course. Don't take the buggy. Like go have fun. Enjoy the sport that you're trying to do. Enjoy your life. Strive to whatever you're doing creates a better quality of living. I think that's, you know, from a gen pop perspective, if you're not really focused on competing and stuff, that's kind of my, my principles that I would hopefully push towards. Um, there's the Nyusha around like tracking calories and all those types of things and being mindful of your food. I think that's important, but I think understanding that we got to get those base things done first, and then we can kind of start adding on the, the, you know, the sprinkle on top of whatever we're having. I think, uh, I think that hydration can be important from um, just the aspect of like, like it's tasteless, right? You're not necessarily doing it for any particular enjoyment, but I think that it's important only because that it tells yourself that you're, you're valuable. Um, and so it's kind of like this sub text that's communicated. So it's not necessarily like, Oh, I'm doing it so that I, you know, I, cause I love the taste of water. It's like, I'm doing this because I would like to be able to like, you know, feel a little bit better in my body, improve some of my di- digestion. I, you yep. know, maybe it helps reduce some stiffness, you know, like it has over a hundred different functions in the body and I'm doing it for me because I know that it's good for me. Not because it, you know, not because there's, there's like a performance aspect. There is, there's yeah. a huge performance thing to it, but I think it's something that not a lot of people talk about. So it's something that I'm seeing more and more. It's like hydration. We understand like our body is what 70% water. So like, why aren't we giving it water? It's like, that's, it needs, it, it's the same thing of like, we can what go without food for something like five, six days until we kind of like start starving to it. It's like, what's it? It's a day without water and you dehydrated. It's like, okay. So maybe hydration is important. It's like the fluid in your brain, you know, the thing that keeps us kind of going around and like, alive tells all the other organs to pump blood around or tells the heart to pump blood around and keeps everything else going. Do you know what that relies on? Fluid. Do you know what fluid is? Water. It's like, I I just find hydration is like this. It's the 1% that's not actually 1% and it's so easy to actually get right. Right. I have water here. All of of my clients, like the non-negotiable, like when we start, it's like, buy a water bottle and keep it with you. It's like, yeah. pull that up three times a day for me. It's like, we're kind of okay. I think it's like a keystone habit. That's like kind of a good one. Um, yeah. Cause you're like, basically you said sleep, train, hydrate. Um, or like, and training is just, you know, being active. It doesn't necessarily have to be in this um, overly yeah, structured environment. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah. So, so it's eat sleep is it's, eat or, you know, hydration or, you know, yep. just kind of nutrition, yep. sleep and train. I think those are phenomenal pillars. Summed, <laughs> summed it up way better than I was throwing it out there. <laughs> that's good, man. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of what I would go with. Awesome, man. Uh, well, I really appreciate your time. 
Um, I do want uh, for people who want to learn a little bit more from you or a little bit more about you. Um, if you could get, just give us maybe some places that they could check you out. Um, yeah, awesome, man. Thanks so much for having me. It was good to have a chat. Um, I'm probably as much as I'm not that active cause I hate it, but, um, so I'm most active on Instagram and that's coach James Mack. Um, also email address is James at performanceprogramming.net. You do have a website performanceprogramming.net that you can kind of contact me on there. Um, that's pretty much it. If anyone's looking for anything from an injury perspective, niggles, you know, problems around getting back into the gym, like I'm your guy. Um, more than happy to kind of help you out from that side. Perfect, man. Well, again, thank you so much. And uh, I hope to to catch you on here again sometime soon. Yeah, man. Anytime. I'd love it. We're good. Thanks, dude. Perfect.